0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Wrapping with Reef I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. So today I have the pleasure of welcoming Greg Hiller back to the show. Hey, Greg, what's up, man? Hey, Keith, what's up? And uh, folks, I, I see a whole bunch of you are uh, finding the stream. Thanks for tuning in. I, I see uh, some familiar uh, folks out there, Scotty Damron, Mike Johnson, Revo13, a Dolphins fan. I, I'm, I'm a big Dolphins fan my, uh, myself. Uh, Nano Joe, acupuncture. Out of yourself. <laughs> um, so Greg has been, as I mentioned the last time he was on, active in the reef keeping hobby since 1996. Someone in the YouTube chat, Greg, before the show, labeled you as one of the true OGs of the hobby. Do you know what uh, OG stands for? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I looked it up on Wikipedia. It's uh, it's it, OG stands for original gangster, which is what the term meant at first. But since then, it's been used to simply mean that something or someone is original. And I think you're um, certainly fit that bill in terms of the reef keeping hobby. So I'm really excited to have you back on. Uh, Greg has uh, raised several species of marine fish and propagated dozens of species of soft and hard corals. He is a founding member of the Boston Reefers Society, BRS. I wonder whether uh, BRS got that, uh, that abbreviation from you guys or vice versa. I don't know. Uh, he's also a frequent monthly uh, meeting speaker, although I think lately it hasn't been as frequent as, as you had uh, been speaking to the club in the past. Greg holds a Ph.D. in chemical biochemical engineering from UC Berkeley, which he believes has contributed to his success in the reef keeping hobby. Greg has authored a number of articles for online hobbyist publications, most dealing with the chemistry aspects of the hobby, and he is currently retired from the company that he worked for for many years, Pfizer. Congratulations, uh, Greg, on the retirement.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: So we were, we were talking before the, uh, before the live stream. I guess you just uh, came back from a big uh, trip and you're away from your tank for a while, correct?
1: That's correct, yep.
0: Actually, you know what? Uh, look-
1: over
0: three weeks, I think. Yeah. Let me. I, I forgot something that's very important. So let me get yeah. right back to that. We gotta. I gotta take care of some quick business here, and and um. I want to thank the sponsors of the show, Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate the uh, these uh, companies supporting the show, and I also appreciate everybody tuning in and supporting the show. So please spread the word and and hit that uh, like button if you haven't done so already. So uh, more people will uh, find the live stream. And as always, I encourage you. Um, People tuning in here to ask a lot of questions. It's a uh, it's a rare opportunity to have somebody like Greg on the uh, on the live stream. So so please take advantage and ask your questions in the chat. All right, so Greg, I'm sorry we were. Um, I asked you about being away from the uh, from the tanks on vacation. How did that How did that go? You know, it it, it went
1: amazingly well um these last two times i've had problems in the past but uh uh my son was here to watch things but he's not really into the whole hobby very much so i, I got him to check a few things and the most common thing that i have him check is um, you know the alkalinity uh, uh just to make sure the calcium reactor hasn't stopped uh and then also to just check that the, the power heads are still uh you know firing <coughs> Um, water motion is just, it's just so critical. And if that stops, uh, I, we, we were chatting earlier, just a little bit about the fact that you're quite large, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that happens when, when tanks, uh, get filled in with corals, you gotta be really careful about water motion. Uh, it can start to be a problem. Um, and if it, if it's, if it's too low, sometimes, you know, kind of a little forest fire of RTN can start and wipe things out. Uh, quickly
0: so yeah and that's definitely something i want to talk to you about um in in a bit on the uh, on the show because i know you have a mature reef tank one of my tanks is a very mature tank like you just mentioned and uh you know it can be a tough call to make some dramatic changes to what appears to be like a thriving reef but is it a ticking time bomb but let's um let's let's talk about that a little bit um yeah you know i I just got back from vacation myself and um I I just get really nervous about it. You know, I, um, I kind of stress out the week leading up to the vacation, just kind of thinking about all the different things I need to do. You know, I, um, I put on a, uh, a couple of, uh, you know, I have two tanks, two display tanks. So I I put, you know, some automatic feeders on those tanks to dispense pellets. Um, The person that tank sits, my tank, this was actually a a neighbor and she had never tank sat before. And and she just came over a couple of times to feed the fish. And, you know, there's certain things that could happen to the tank while I'm away that even if I had an experienced reef keeper watching the tank, it could spell big trouble. I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, the calcium reactor and all that stuff. You know, sometimes that's not an easy thing to see. And, and uh, you know, I find it helpful to be able to monitor, you know, my alkalinity remotely. Do you do, you do that sort of thing? Do you have a, um, an alkalinity monitor, or controller where you can kind of see what's going on?
1: I'm not nearly that high tech. No. Uh, at one point in time, I had this, uh, this system that, uh, that could monitor a few things. It wasn't designed for aquariums, but, uh, it could monitor, you know, power outages and it could call you, but it kind of stopped functioning. So I never bothered to get it working again. So no, I don't have a lot. Um, um you know, at this point in time, We're probably going to move in about a year, and when I do that, I'm I'm going to set up a new tank, and probably in 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 my new house, and uh, I'll probably do a lot more automation than I can. Prior to this trip, I did try to simplify things a fair amount, in the sense that, you know, I had a number of pumps, you know, being the kind of cheap dude that i am i had a number of pumps that were kind of old and and you know sometimes after a power outage they wouldn't start and i kind of bang them around a little bit so <laughs> i took i took a lot of those uh pumps out that i thought could cause problems uh and just replaced them with something something simple but uh that that i didn't think was as likely to cause a problem uh and then just test it by turning it on and off a few times and so that that i think was a, a definitely a step in the right direction for for making things simpler
0: do you have a um a backup generator like something automatic or do you have something that's uh, portable that you'd have to pull the ripcord on
1: yeah so what i have is a uh, well i've been really lucky knock on wood again in that uh our town where i live in massachusetts for some reason uh is really good about power in other words we've, we've never had a power outage for more than just a few hours wow. for the 20 plus years that, that that I've been doing this stuff. So, but nevertheless, uh, a long time ago, I set up uh, several different things. But one of the, one of the easiest ones to do, just just in, in case something goes wrong, is, is those little uh, those little bubblers, those uh, pen plaques bubblers that turn on. Uh, you just run a little tube to the bottom of your tank, and they sense power outage, and they're so cheap. And They're so easy to use because uh, that's really that's you know I learned a long time ago that's the first thing that it kills and it doesn't kill your corals it kills the fish initially just as mm-hmm. low and because uh, your tank is so dense you know the corals and the and the rock and the sand are all using up so that's one of the first things but <clears throat> but beyond that um, I did set up uh, uh, an under an uninteroperable power supply but only. That would power like the main recirculation pump. Uh-huh. So I have a pair of uh, marine batteries that are linked to it, and so they charge all the time. And then uh, you know, if it if we lose power, it instantly clicks on, so it keeps the main pump at least moving water around. Uh, that's not enough, you know, long term, but in the short term, that's enough. If all your pumps turn back on in an hour or two, you know, you're fine. Now beyond that, I uh, you know. I do have a generator, but I never—I've never actually put gasoline in it. <laughs> <laughs> I bought it about 15 years ago, and it—you know—I was like, "Oh, well, it's, it's in the basement. I really don't want gasoline. It's going to smell bad." And so I never put gasoline. So whether it will start again, I don't know. And I did have uh, some electrical work done so that if if I needed it, if the generator. You know, it was necessary. I could pull it outside, hook it up and hook some cables up and flip stuff on. But, you know, I've never tested it. So I, I, I hope it will work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I don't want to I don't want to jinx you. You yeah. know, I um, I have a full house backup generator, but I know from past experience that that's always, um, you know, that's not necessarily going to be a fail safe way to um, keep the power on during an outage um, before um, Superstorm Sandy hit. I was living in Connecticut at the time, and we um, basically the um, the automatic generator does like a weekly test. But I got a notification a, a week or so before that storm that the uh, the generator had failed that test, and I, I somehow was able to get the generator guy out to the house to take a look at the generator. And um, he said, uh, "Well, it's essentially had a catastrophic failure, <laughs> and that um, you know you're going to be uh, shit out of luck." if um if you lose power during sandy and he's like listen i'm not gonna have time right now you know i'm not gonna have time at this point to fix it i've got other customers that i've got to go and maintain their working generators and i don't have time to to spend to reconfigure an entire generator luckily i'd broken down my tank a couple weeks before then but um so in Vermont, I have a full house backup generator, but I also have a portable propane generator just in case. I guess I'm just uh, a little nervous that way, but it, that's a good thing to have is as a, as a propane. It's a, it's a propane portable generator, which is cool because I actually have it hooked into a 100-gallon propane tank. So, you know, it's not automatic, but that thing can run for two, three, potentially four days on the propane. So that's, right. um, I know a lot of people don't have propane, uh, generators and I'm not sure how, how, um, you know, how, how many options are out there, but it's, it's definitely something to think about.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I thought about it and for the new house, I plan to have a backup generator of, of some more ilk, but for right now, it's just not worth trying to, trying to do it.
0: So Brooks Foresight mentions that, um, I think it was Brooks that, that uses a, um, a, a yeah, W Y Z E pan and tilt camera from when he goes away. So I'm um you and I were talking again before the show about um, webcams, and I have one on my uh, my 187 gallon tank. And while I was away, I was definitely eyeballing that uh, camera to make sure everything was uh was hunky dory. But I also have a uh, a Nest Cam on my sump, and that camera stays off. But what I do is if I need to look at it. And I could even, and the cool thing about the Nest Cam is that um, it's got infrared. So even in a dark room, you'll be able to see the water level in the sump. You'll be able to see that the skimmer's uh, working. And those things are not terribly expensive, maybe um, a couple hundred bucks. And, and uh, like I said, you don't have to have the thing on all the time. So that's another good thing that uh, I like to tap into when I'm away. But man, you were away for a long time, and you were probably in some locations where you weren't even getting an internet connection, Right.
1: Yeah, we were in the Seychelles uh, on the boat. We, we pretty much uh, didn't have much <clears throat> much connectivity, them. No.
0: So, Greg, for, for those folks that um, don't recall the last time you were on, just um, talk a little bit about in terms of the current tanks that you have.
1: Sure. So, right now I have, uh, I guess it's about 450 gallons. It's an 8-foot by 3-foot by 30-inch uh, high system. So, I've had that set up for... A, I want to say eleven or twelve years now, um, and I also have a thirty-seven high. I think it's it's an old, it's an oceanic tank. Um, that's kind of a low light uh, SP, uh, low light softies low flow kind of lagoonal system. Um, so the SBS system. You know, so we, we, this is one thing we, we might talk about. Is
0: I'm actually the, running the video of the uh, of the softy tank right now. Oh, okay, now. okay. So, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I, well, I I guess the delay would not allow me to see yeah. it, but yeah. I guess things in there that, that can be of interest is uh, I had this Solomon Islands mushroom leather, a lot of people like that, that I actually collected oh, myself years ago <laughs> on a dive trip, um, and then the corner of the tank is uh, an elegance coral that I've propagated several times and hacked up. And that actually was not doing well at all in my large tank, but when I moved it to this tank, it just started to flourish. And there's a there's a coral beauty in there that's a uh, tank raised coral beauty, cute little fish, and a bunch of other uh, random things uh, here and there throughout that tank. But that tank has been doing, again, knock on wood amazingly well with, with very little influence or upkeep or, or anything really, it's amazing. Um, sometimes if, if things are in the right zone, how well they can do.
0: So, all right. Now, in terms of the larger, the four hundred and fifty, that, um, you said that's been up and running for like 10 or 11 years,
1: uh, but, but yeah, 11, 12, I think.
0: Yeah. Um, any, uh, any issues going on? They always say in reef keeping, there's, there's always something.
1: Right. Well, I mean, so I, you know, I've had various colonies, die over the years or just not flourish well and sometimes you put them back in you know you get a frag from somebody back and it just doesn't go doesn't doesn't take well but time goes by and you keep trying and sometimes the tank changes again and 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 the tank accepts the corals again so I can't explain uh that all but uh, you know I think there's a lot of complex chemistry and biology going on that we don't completely understand. You know, I think a lot of it can be managed with, with uh, uh, you know, carbon usage and, and good skimming and things like that. But uh, a lot of complex things going on in a tank like that.
0: So. What about uh, old tank syndrome? You know, is, is that something, is that, is that an issue that we have to be concerned about with a tank after a certain amount of years? Is that something that really folks with sandbeds have to be concerned about? What do you, um, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, so, so I have a sandbed. Um, and, I, you know, I, I agree in general, you know, we should all be concerned about that. But, but what it comes down to is, you know, how packed is your tank? How dense are things? How many fish do you have in there? You know, if you're keeping up on maintenance, if you let things grow too far and, you know, don't eventually cut some things back, you can get into trouble, you know. And, and so you, you were asking a little bit earlier about, you know, your tank and, and and you know, what you should do at a certain point. You know, quite frankly, well, you said your tank's four years old, so my tank's, you know, 11, 10 years, 11, 12 years old. And, you know, about every... Three or four years, I basically have to go in and and chop the top third of the tank off. Now I sometimes I'll do it on one side of the tank one year and on the other side of the tank the other year. But you know, uh, when the corals hit the surface of the water, you know they spread out and you know things start to grow on, you know, just kind of funky algae starts to grow on the top, and so they're, they're not really healthy anymore. And so, so I'll actually go in there. I have a I have a brass mallet. And I think I took a video of at one point in time, basically just going in there and just just whacking colonies and just making <laughs> large chunks of coral fall off. Last time I did it, I think I ended up with like at least three or four or five gallon buckets just full of just coral
0: bits. Wow. Yeah. Um,
1: of which some of which I've I bleached out. And when when it was hard to get uh, calcium reactor substrate, I started reusing them.
0: There you go. <laughs> That's you know the circle of life, right? Right. Uh, insane reefer, thank you so much for the super chat there. Uh, the comment is great. Discussions like always. Thanks for your time. And a thumbs up. Thumbs up to you, uh, insane reefer. Uh, yeah. So um, I uh, so have you. You've only gone in to kind of chop off the top third. Have you ever really rebooted a, uh, a mature reef tank? Or no?
1: No. I mean, well. No, I've never restarted, uh, a tank. Uh, I mean, I've moved you know, into the big tank from smaller tanks in various places and, you know, combined stuff, but no, I never really felt like I had to, uh, hang on one second. Nope. I, I never felt, Oh, are you
0: still there? Yeah, we got you back. Sorry. I, no. The last, the last time this happened to me, I had, um, I had uh Dr. Tim on. Doctor uh Tim Hovinit and, and uh he was in LA and he lost power. Oh. And uh after twenty minutes he was gone. So we uh we had to reschedule him, but uh, I'm glad you're back.
1: Yeah, I'm back. Hopefully you can yeah, okay. Uh, so anyhow, wh- uh what we were talking about was oh rebooting a tank completely. Yeah. So so no, I've never uh really restarted completely i don't think it's really necessary i mean if you have live rock in spots and you're just careful to uh uh, you know take some fraction of materials out and leave materials behind you know i I think a reef tank can 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 deal with quite a number of, of insults as long as it's uh as the basic things are still functioning you know you don't don't get too too cold or too hot or something like that
0: so I want, to, I want to bend your ear on something. And you've seen my uh, tank on the, uh, on the YouTube um, webcam there. Oh, it's awesome. I just put out a video actually on this, and I got a lot of uh, interesting comments. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of kind of like rebooting the tank at this point. I mean, I'm sure it's a similar situation to your tank, but pretty much every piece of rock that's facing the lights is encrusted with coral whether it's Montipora, whether it's, um, you know, Acropora, what have you, everything is encrusted. Uh, you know, I've got some big colonies that are just pretty much grown to the point where they're, uh, you know, shading out other corals. And, um, you know, there's some RTN happening or STN, whatever it is, at the bases of those corals because they're just not getting the, uh, the light and the flow. They're essentially kind of choking each other out. So at some point I got to do something. And, you know, I've, in in the the past several months, I don't know, six, six to eight, 10 months, I've been just doing a lot of fragging to kind of like manage the situation. But I have kicked around the idea of just doing like a, um, kind of like swapping out the rock. And, um, I've, um, I had a bad experience using dry rock, uh, Seven years ago when I started this tank and I actually ended up rebooting the tank after two years because it was just one problem after another And it was probably my fault because I didn't do a good job in terms of seeding the uh, the dry rock with bacteria and other um, types of um, You know microfauna so, uh, you know, I had diatoms uh, cyano and, and eventually it was uh, You know dinos that led me to break the tank down and restarted with Haitian live rock and the tank has thrived since then but um, I don't know, I've kind of thought about uh, maybe doing like a minimalistic dry rock aquascape and just pulling all the colonies out and chopping off the tops of those colonies, putting them on, a, um, on frag tiles and, and, and continuing to grow out those colonies, but um, you know, not, not saving the, the, the parts of those corals that are um, you know, not doing well, that, that uh, we're not getting a lot of light. But it's, it's uh, you know, so what I was thinking about doing is adding a second sump. And so tying another sump into my, my current system, taking the, uh, the dry rock, and, and it's sort of like cooking it in the system for about six months. So, so adding it to that sump, putting some light on it, let the ugly phase kind of work its way through the dry rock in the second sump. And then once things are, uh, are right, in terms of the, you know, after the six months, essentially do a swap of the live rock and the display tank for the dry rock and that second sump. And, um, but I'm, I'm worried, right, because it's, the, the system is very successful. Even though I'm gonna be kind of doing it slowly and taking my time and trying to get the, um, uh, the bacteria and, and the sponges and what have you to colonize the dry rock, it's it's going to be dramatic because I don't think I could save the sand bed. I think I'd have to pull the sand bed out of the display tank and replace it with another sand bed. But what are your thoughts on that that sort of scenario? Do you think that's just way too risky with a tank that um, is going so well, like the, like the one that I have?
1: If it ain't broke, don't fix. it. <laughs> yeah, I really, I you know, I really would not make a drastic move on a system like that. I don't think there's any any reason for it. I mean, I think. If you have colonies that have just gotten too big, just take a chunk of it out, you know? But I would I would hesitate to do a large change all at once. You know, if you're gonna, like I have mentioned before, you know, I might go in and, and knock the top third off of one third of the tank. And I've never had a problem with that. Nothing, nothing freaks out on that and it works out just fine. But I'd be reluctant to to, to re- just rip everything out and then start with rock that, that you know, is kind of seeded but kind of not. I mean, I think you, you have the right idea and you might be successful in what you're doing. I think, that, you know, that's kind of the right idea if you're going to do that. But I, I really wouldn't make a drastic change unless there's a unless there's a strong reason you're trying to fix something that is clearly broken and I, I don't think that's the case.
0: Yeah, no, that's a very good point. You know, I, I, I kind of like... Um you know, in the last week have been flip-flopping on this thing. It's, um, it's tough because, you know, when I look at the tank and it's just doing, doing so well and to, um, potentially upset that balance. You know, I know in my years keeping reef tanks that it, it, um, you know, large changes like that come with big risks.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't do it.
0: Um, yeah, I see some comments coming in about the uh a potential uh reboot. What um let's let's switch um topics here a little bit uh Greg. One thing that I'm experimenting with right now is dosing bacteria to my uh my established uh, system and also I'm dosing bacteria to my relatively new peninsula tank. Um you know, the um the reason being is that um I've been using catamorpha for a while on the tanks for nutrient control but at times it's been a challenge to keep the uh, the cato growing you know it, uh, it can be a kind of a tough tough macro I think to uh, maintain over the long haul maybe maybe some folks will disagree about that I don't know uh, what your thoughts in terms of using macro you use macro right
1: well I've, I've... I've had or however it's pronounced, in the past. I don't have it now. What I have now is actually uh, just grape Calerpa, uh, which I know in some cases you're not even supposed to be messing with. I know in, in California and various places, you know, if it gets out and gets into the water, salt water, it can be bad news. Um, but that's what I've done, and it, it's worked out really well for me. Uh, bacterial dosing, I haven't really filled with anything like that i mean i think there's you know if you're if you're trying to keep non-photosynthetic corals you know, that's a whole nother ball of wax and, and really you know very difficult i think to do unless they're unless they eat macroscopic things like uh or you can just feed them and you know they're getting what they need um but you know trying to grow a lot of critters to you know small critters to add to a tank I've never really had any super positive results I mean I, when I was raising fish larval sometimes I would add a whole bunch of rotifers to the tank but you know it just had extra ones but I never really saw any particular advantage to that and I know some people add the little cyclopes and stuff and and can show that the coral polyp actually eats it, but I, I never really saw much value in that as well. I just assume keep the amount of nutrients down if possible. Now I don't know if you're why you're having problems with the ctenophora. Maybe you just maybe your skimmer is just phenomenal, but it's it's always easy to, to feed the fish more if that's the problem.
0: Yeah, you know I um I dose both nitrates and phosphates. I feed my fish like four or five times a day, and I think what's going on is. Um, a lot of the phosphates, my phosphates have pretty much nearly bottomed out, and and um, and currently right now, my I, I don't have um, you know a lot of katomorpha, a lot of cato that's growing. So I, I you know I, I firmly believe that the uh, corals are sucking a lot of nitrates and phosphates, which is making me uh, you know have to, to dose those elements. I might be wrong about that, um, but you know. Well,
1: Somewhere, right I mean the reef tanks uh, it's, a, it's a box it's, whatever comes in comes out so if you're, if you're doing water changes or if you have a phenomenal skimmer or if you're you're pulling out something with GFO or some other chemical means of treating uh, phosphate you know I, I played around years ago with uh, lanthanum chloride I, I
0: don't mm, that's recommend. tough yeah that's that's nasty stuff right yeah well it's it's strong.
1: I didn't have any real problems with it in, until I, you know, after the fact read that it, people have had problems with Tridac clams. And I also had to problems with Tridac clams ever since adding it years ago. And I stopped years ago, but I've never been able to keep a Tridac clam since that time. I mean, I, I previously had them grow, you know, enormous. And then I don't think Lanthanum chloride, they don't like Lanthanum chloride for some reason.
0: I, you know, I, I have not had any luck growing clams, in the last five to seven years before then i had no problem with keeping clams in my tank but for some reason mm-hmm. it seems like the um the clams these days are uh, i guess oh. a lot more sensitive i don't know maybe it's just something i'm doing
1: now nah, who knows
0: um so yeah so one of the reasons why I'm, I'm kind of toying with the uh the bacteria dosing is to also you utilize that as a source of um, nutrient control and in, in terms of having having that bacteria help consume the uh, the nitrates and the phosphates, because uh, you know, and, and I think it also helps in terms of fighting certain types of algae. I have a um, I have some cyano here and there in the tank. It's not a lot, but um, you know, and I think that's also related to my my tank being pretty packed and yeah. and the circulation being restricted. Oh
1: everybody does but i but i guess I'm, I'm not sure what problem you're trying to solve if, if you said you don't have any nitrates the only phosphates I, i'm not sure you <laughs> know unless you're trying to do something different and, and, and you're trying to add nutrients by adding the bacteria
0: well what yeah
1: are these and what kind of quantities is this just something a bottle something you squirt in that you buy
0: it pretty much <laughs> so what
1: waste um, your money on any of that crap that's all.
0: Yeah. Now listen, it's uh, why you know these days reef keeping has become a lot more complicated. If you choose it to be complicated, I guess there's doesn't
1: um, complicated. Doesn't
0: have to be complicated. Yeah. I know. You don't
1: need any, you don't need any of that fancy stuff. Check your alkalinity. I haven't tested phosphates or nitrates or any of that in years and years.
0: So you're not worried about um, when you have an RTN event or an STN event that perhaps there's more bad bacteria taking over versus the good bacteria?
1: It could be, um, but I think I'm not sure it's 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 so clear cut. So my main concern is usually water flow. Um, and I think that if, if I start having problems, I mean, recession from the bottom because there's less light and less flow at the bottom, you know, that's, that's not something I... I particularly worry about. That's just, that's just natural. Any reef does that I mean, in, in the natural environment. That's going to happen as well. So, you know, that doesn't bother me, but if I think that things are too compacted and not enough light getting in, you know, that's when you get your the brass hammer out and start whacking.
0: <laughs> so we have a few uh, folks that agree with your uh, assessment of my situation in terms of the tank, not to uh, rip it apart and just do a little hacking with the brass hammer there. And, um, insane reefer is commenting about the uh, i believe it's about the cato growth in terms of maybe it's a lack of iron i do um i do dose um, some iron supplements for the uh for the cato. um devon monaco um has a question what are your thoughts on nitrates at zero but phosphates at 0.15 still get film algae on the glass so i assume there has to be some nitrate
1: well you know Film algae is completely natural, right? On a reef, it's happening all the time. There's just critters that come by that eat it. Uh, I would never try to suppress in, a, in an extreme way uh, algae in my glass. Just get some snails or some urchins and let them do their thing. Um, you know, it, it's I, I think if you have to clean your glass, you know, let me let me put it extremes you know, If you can't see in your if you can't see into your tank within three days, yeah, maybe something's wrong. But you know it's pretty standard to need to clean the glass once a week or once every two weeks. If you know if you want to see in perfectly, that's that's completely natural to me. Depends how many how many snails you want to have and you know, what you're willing to do there.
0: How, uh, how often are you testing your, uh, you know, key parameters in the tank? You know, is it like just once a week or are you using, um, well,
1: the, the alkalinity I test very frequently just because I want to make sure the calcium reactor is, is balanced because if it gets ahead of the tank too much, then the alkalinity gets too high and it gets precipitation in the, the power heads and then they shut down and that's, that's the biggest, uh, it's too low then the corals really suffer. So. Um, but beyond that, you know, I'll I'll check, uh, calcium, maybe once every three or four months and magnesium, maybe once every six months or once a year like that. I I don't really see the need to test any more than that. I mean, again, if if there's something wrong, but you know, don't freak yourself out by (laughs) looking at numbers that, that, that don't necessarily mean that much. In other words, what I'm, what I'm trying to say though is, you know, I have, I'm adding calcium and alkalinity to the tank in a balanced fashion because it's a calcium reactor, right? So calcium and alkalinity, the skeletons are being broken down, they're going into the water, and the corals are taking them back up. So as long as the alkalinity is where it should be, that means the calcium will be where it should be. Now, if you're doing something different, you're just adding baking soda and adding calcium carbonate, uh, you know, if you do it the correct ratios, that's okay too. But if you're just doing one, and then you every so often you check and you add some calcium, that's that's completely different. Then you're really going to have to keep keep an eye on it. But if you're using a ba- balanced weight to add calcium, you know, you shouldn't be a big deal. Uh, you know, years ago, I used to find my magnesium would drop quickly. Don't I don't see that anymore. Every time I test it, it's like, oh. Uh, it's Really, not much different than it had been as long as the salinity is, is correct. The magnesium,
0: what do you like to keep your tanks in terms of salinity at?
1: Uh, pretty close to natural seawater, L- a yeah. little bit lower probably, but but uh, but pretty close. You know, when I look at my refractometer, it's like 1.0 what is it, 1.023 or four, yeah. something like that, yeah, and- worth. 35, 35 parts per thousand, I think is the number, but probably I keep a little lower than that.
0: And what about nitrates and phosphates? What do you like to keep those at? And how often do you uh, test in those?
1: I, I I haven't tested in years, so that's I-
0: awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, That's awesome. But That's refreshing to hear. You
1: no, know, I, I mean, I, I really don't know what mine is. It's probably, it's certainly not, not zero, but I don't think it's, a, a well, I can't see it being a problem, you know, Again, I have things that don't always do well, but right now everything's doing really well. And, and again, I haven't tested it in a long, long time.
0: Well, I think one of the keys with reef keeping is that if you're consistent and you keep things stable in terms of whatever you're doing, then uh, and don't make any major changes, then typically you're going to be okay if the tank is doing well. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about something else. I wanted to get your opinion about, um, polyp extension. You know, how important is polyp extension for SPS when the tank lights are on, you know, I mean, when the tank lights are off, certainly the polyps are out a lot more than they are potentially in the daytime. So how important is polyp extension during the daytime would you say?
1: You know, I don't think it's particularly important. Um, and and, and maybe I'll, I'll give you a, a potential reason that I'm not worried about it. So, uh, well, first of all, in the natural reef, you don't actually see polyps extended on, on most corals very much, at least not during the day. At night, sometimes you do. Uh, but years ago, for, for a while, I had a uh, um, a uh, orange spot filefish, hmm. and the ones that I had only ate polyps. That's all they eat yep. was coral. Um, and... And they didn't do enough damage to a large tank to really cause any problems, but they would keep most of the coral polyps retracted all the time just because they would go to one spot and then move around and spot another spot. And so they were retracted all the time, but the corals completely grow without any problem at all. So, uh, you know, I don't really see – I mean, I I guess you could say, well, corals are taking in nutrients through – all of the surface area, and maybe with more tentacles extended, maybe they're taking in more nutrients. I don't know. Again, I, I think they could probably compensate that for that at night, you know, when the filefish fish used to just uh, uh, prop himself between two corals and snap his little file, his little and he would, like, be stuck in there, and the, you know, the, the water would never be able to move him around, and he just snap that thing, and he was stuck. So he would sleep. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the polyps could do whatever while he was asleep, I guess.
0: So you're fine with having like angel fish or any other kind of fish in the tank that potentially could nip at polyps?
1: Oh yeah. I've had, I've had a lot of fish that, that, that can eat various corals
0: and a lot of times, well,
1: you know, within reason. So, I mean, I've had some fish that were just chowing down on soft corals and I knew they were soft coral eaters and I had to remove them at one point in time. Uh, but I have a number of fish that are, you know, that will nip at different things and take little chunks out here and there. And that doesn't, that doesn't bother me. I mean, I have an avarcus angel in now. I have, uh, a, uh, a, a flame angel and a lemon peel angel or something. Um, you know they don't really do any significant damage.
0: You know, I have a um a a misbar regal angel fish in my peninsula tank and th- this to me is like my um, you know that, that 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 is like the pinnacle in terms of keeping a a, a fish and having a a misbar regal angel fish. You don't see a lot of them around. It's it's pretty rare. And the other day uh, well, it was a couple of weeks ago I, I caught that thing picking at some of the uh, the frags in that tank, and actually I got a couple of um, larger colonies in that tank, and and uh, the tank's like a, coming up on a year. Um, I, I started it last October, so I, you know, I saw the thing picking at the, uh, the corals, and the polyps were retracting, and I, I like immediately just thought I gotta get that fish out of that tank because it's um, it's doing some damage. But you know, then I just noticed at night that the polyp extension was just you know, great when the lights were out. Um, and the other thing I did was actually I started feeding that tank a little bit more, you know, kind of trying to fatten that fish up and, and quell his uh, appetite. But yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, it, it depends what you're trying to do. If the coral is the absolute essential thing and you can't have, you have little micro frags and you're worried. Yeah. Okay. Forget it. But, but you know, if you're willing to deal with a little bit of this or that, which I have, I have, I've had a lot of different fish over the years that are, you know, aren't really reef safe and, and my system's done just fine.
0: So uh, thanks, Planet uh, 3D, for, for the comment about hitting the, uh, the thumbs up for, uh, for folks. Yeah, smash that uh, like button so more people can find the, uh, the live stream. And I also want to remind everybody to uh, ask questions in the live chat. Ask uh, Greg some questions that uh, you might potentially have that um you would want to kind of get some answers for. So Greg I so,
1: a mentality. I'm not sure if that that's cuz of mental or <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't <know. laughs>
0: um fish versus uh, da, 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 da. feed a lot. Yeah, I agree with that comment. The More you feed the better. I, do you believe the fish poop is uh good for corals, Greg? Absolutely.
1: I mean, you know, again, it's this is a closed system. Anything you put in has to go somewhere. And if your tests are showing, you know, well, I don't bother with that, but, but if your tests are showing that there's nothing accumulating in the water, then the corals are consuming it. So, great.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, uh, you mentioned this before. I don't think you, uh, you feed your corals amino acids or any other coral foods, right? I, um, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I, um, I've tried aminos. I've tried feeding a lot of coral foods. I haven't really noticed any differences. Sometimes I get cyano. But um, I just find that feeding the fish a lot and uh, letting them do their thing in terms of, um, you know, kind of pooping that, that food out just kind of seems to do the trick.
1: So, so, so keep in mind, when you're feeding a fish and feeding them protein, proteins are made of the 20 essential amino acids. So all those amino acids are going in. Now, I don't know what the, the amino acids that they're, they're selling in some liquid bottle uh, particularly are uh, there are actually there is some literature on this so some scientific literature on uh, amino acid free amino acid availability on the reef and there's really not a lot of free amino acids floating around in the water as I recall um, so I, I, I don't really see any significant value in, in, in adding amino acids now the one thing I will say that I add beyond just my my calcium reactor uh, is I, I have for many years added some trace elements. I made my own trace element mix, which was, I can't remember if we, we commented on this before, but it's basically very similar to to what this this uh, supplement called CombiSan years ago was supposed to be, turns out it wasn't, it was actually mostly just water, but, um, and, and I've been dosing kind of my own mixture of that for many, many years, but it's only just trace elements, just trace elements. You know, elements from the periodic table, right they, the amino acids. There's nothing else, and and that seemed to help with with color on certain corals, which I think just weren't getting uh, certain elements that that uh, that they needed. <clears throat> because you know, if if you look at an analysis of of uh, ocean water, ocean water actually has just about ele- every element in the periodic table to a very low level, but uh just about every element, even gold is in salt water. Hmm. Um a lot of people have tried to, to think up some way that they could extract that gold because think how much money they can but it's very low levels.
0: Yeah that would uh that would definitely uh, make somebody very, very rich. Um Planet 3D is asking, what do you think, Greg, of running UV on a reef tank?
1: Uh why? I guess that's my question. What are you trying? So maybe what I'll say is, um, is I know somebody wants to experiment with it and almost everything in his tank died. Hmm. So, um, but, you know, I, I think as long as you have lights that, that, uh, that effectively simulate natural sunlight, um, you know, I don't think you, you really need UV. I don't think, I mean, maybe, it, maybe it'll have some effect over some coral colors, but I've, I've never seen the need for it. I mean, my tank, I, I think, is colorful enough. I, I don't have the Disneyland lights like some people do. <laughs> the ultra blue, or you can't even take a photo of your tank because it's so blue that just nothing comes out. But, uh, you know, I still have metal halide. The, the tank that you actually, that I that I posted, that that is an LED. Uh, system, but I don't run it with crazy high blues. It just actually hurts my eyes. I, I don't know if people realize that I don't think a lot of blue light is necessarily all that healthy for your eyes. So I would be,
0: <laughs> I mean, I go
1: to these drag swaps and my eyes actually hurt when I look in people's tanks. So uh, I don't know.
0: You got to wear uh, orange uh, lenses.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Rose colored glasses or something. <laughs>
0: um, so Getting back to uh, UV, I, you know, I had never used UV before up until this year. Actually, I um, I had a dino outbreak on my uh, my relatively new Peninsula tank, and so um, I was able to actually beat the dinos by using uh, UV because the uh, the dinos happened to be the uh, the free floating variety. So what you're saying is,
1: so maybe I maybe I should re- rephrase. So. That question, just UV in general, um, I'm not sure if that was that they're trying to subject their their tank to some UV. So that that maybe that's something, included. that's what I took the question Okay. Of. But if it's a question of using a U, UV sterilizer yeah. to try to run the tank water through, uh, I also wouldn't bother. I don't think it really accomplishes very much. I mean, maybe it worked for you, or maybe just other things you did fix the problem. Uh, the only time I would actually use a UV sterilizer is if I ever tried is seahorses again, because I don't think that their immune system is very good. And I think keep us a very small tank with a very powerful UV sterilizer and run water through it appropriately and keep it clean and change the bulb frequently, you might be able to keep the level of bacteria down a little bit. But that's the only time I would bother. I, 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 I For a big tank, I think it's
0: so do, do you think UV can do any harm? I mean, um, pretty much the, um, the um, nitrifying bacteria are colonized in the rock and the sand and other surfaces. So do you think UV could potentially hurt that population?
1: No, no. Uh, if, if, I mean, you can, you can run UV. Um, it's just, I just don't think it's going to do anything. Now, now, the only caveat is that, that the seals could break and the bulb could get messed up. And uh, water could get in there and corrode it and then dump metals in your tank that can wipe out your tank pretty quick. So those UV lights, you got to be careful with, with, with that aspect of things. So again, if there's no real strong driver for it, I just wouldn't have it. In other words, one more device that, that something could go wrong with. Uh, I mean, I'm all for for multiplying, you know, Keep several powerheads and the chance that one stops going. But um, equipment that you don't really need, I, I'm inclined to, to not not mess with. So, you know, ozone, UV, um, amino acids, bacteria, I, I don't see a real value uh, in much of that. Now, now, ozone, maybe, you know, I never really experimented that much. And some people, you know, keep really close... Eye on their uh, uh, redox potential, and they think that the control, uh, it, you know, can better control things and keep it a little more oxidizing environment. I mean, maybe that helps, but I just didn't see see the value in in fiddling with it, and, and you can mess things up with ozone for sure.
0: Yeah, I've never tried ozone. Um, I guess it's I guess it could help with water clarity, but um, I've never really seen the need. I run activated carbon and and uh, you know that seems to do the trick speaking of uh uv when i was on vacation my uv one of my uv bulbs did burn out but um no uh no harm uh, done to the uh to the tank but yeah
1: uh, yeah it's the seals that you gotta be worried about because the whole point is that the water is supposed to flow right around them those seals uh also with just exposure to uv in time they get hardened and, and
0: go bad. So Revo13 is asking you whether or not uh, you do any water changes and how much. If, if, uh...
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, you have to, you know, it's a closed system unless you remove nutrients one way or another, and um, but it always helps balance the tank. You know, I probably change on the order of 5% a month or something like that, but, but usually it, it comes down to, uh, you know, the, the water I'm using when I'm fragging things. I just don't put that back in the tank, obviously, because, you know, I'm, I'm gluing things down and I'm using cellarins and things like that. And, and, and the corals are slimy and I don't put that water back in the tank. So I have to make up for that.
0: So um, do you think that uh, water changes alone are not enough to replenish trace elements? Is that why you're, you're dosing trace elements in addition to doing water changes? Or do you just are not doing enough water change and, and need to dose traces?
1: All depends. So it all depends upon your tank. You know, if you have a really big tank and you have a few little tiny corals in it, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think you need to. But if you have a tank that's that's chock full and stuff's growing out of the water and almost every surface is is growing, um, so for me, I think that there's certain trace elements that are not that are not uh, readily available, and I I feel like. Um, I think I've said this in the past as well, that that there's a pretty wide level of certain trace elements that a tank is defined with uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, you, the, the range can be fairly large, but there just has to be at least enough there so they need out of the water column. Yeah.
0: Um. Steve Brady is asking, does Greg still run halides on his 450? He did mention that you're running halides. Are you uh, are you thinking of switching to LEDs when you make that move to a new house?
1: Yeah, when I want to make the move to a new house. Uh, I probably will. I haven't thought super carefully about that. But but one thing that that surprises me a little bit. I wonder if this is a little bit of a scam. Is that? Is that you can buy incredibly inexpensive LEDs now? I mean, and I don't understand that that it should be so hard to buy a, a fixture for a tank with very inexpensive LEDs that, that couldn't work just as well. So, uh, for for instance, let me just say that I mean I bought some LEDs, some really simple fixtures. And I can't remember what they cost, but it's like maybe ten bucks each. Uh, and they're mostly red but I mean I can grow incredible amounts of uh, of Calerpa under these things mm. with really low uh, intensity. Uh, actually the Xenia grows really well on that same system with, with the uh, with those little LEDs and, and I've bought some kind of knockoffs lower quality LEDs that I have on my frag tank and things look really good in there. so I just wonder, you know, whether it's one of these kind of uh, marquee type things or, or just the brand name and people are trying to you know, keep that brand name up, whereas, you know, Gucci bag is the same as a bag that looks like a Gucci <laughs> bag. <laughs>
0: well, maybe it's time for some uh, DIY uh, LEDs for the new uh, tank. Well,
1: I, I, I just think that uh, that seems to be a little bit of a scam. I, I, don't, I don't completely understand it. I would actually, I I, I didn't watch Sanjay's uh, thing, but I'd like to hear what he has to say. But but at the same time, the manufacturers just give him lights, right? Half the time, right? So I don't know that he would
0: he you know
1: tried a lot of low end stuff because why bother? Right. right.
0: He's got the uh, he's got the higher end stuff. I mean, I could
1: wrong on that. Don't don't get me don't you know I, I I don't know. Maybe maybe he doesn't get stuff from manufacturers, but but I think usually they, they give him to because they
0: want him to. test so, um, about the move, are you, are you planning on moving the tank? Or are you planning on just selling everything off, getting rid of everything and restarting fresh? Cause moving a tank can uh, be a real bear. Yeah. I, I'm,
1: I'm probably gonna, gonna start it with, with base rock and, and move a few things over and probably not try to, to wholesale move, move stuff. But I don't know. I haven't haven't thought exactly how I'm going to do that. Uh, do that yet. I mean, I, for sure, it'll be a it'll be a reboot of you know the the landscaping and everything, and all. Uh, and the tank configuration is going to be actually different. It's actually going to be kind of design the house. Well, uh, there's a spot for it in the house. It's, so we're designing the house from scratch, uh, working with some architects, and so um, we'll have it in a particular spot and. Uh, um, and
0: it'll look a little different than the current thing. Any any uh, potential big changes that you're considering besides the uh, you know LED lights? Are you going go to kind of go with what you have been you know sticking with that successful formula in terms of the types of equipment you're using? Or are you going to try to do a little uh, experimenting?
1: Um, for the most part, I'll, I'll stick with, with what I know. Um, the one thing that I am going to do, though, is I'm going to have a fairly large space in the basement. So currently... My sump is plumbed to the basement from my big tank. And I have a, a, a pair of tanks kind of associated with that that I just have, uh, you know, either calipa or, or frags in. Uh, but in, in the future, you know, I ha- I'll have a fairly large room and actually will probably run the tank water through a number of different tanks and maybe just grow, more effectively grow uh, different algae uh, and, and frags here and there just to help pull things out. I mean, again, these... These LED lights that are uh growing this calirpa, they're they're using very little wattage, uh and growing a lot of calirpa. And, and I would think tetamorpha would would grow just as well, or or anything else. Uh, but I'll probably redesign that a little bit because right now the calirpa grows, and I've got some rocks in there, and I anchor them. And then sometimes the rocks come off, and sometimes they fall to the bottom. If I had like just a solid structure, it wasn't designed this way. But if I had a solid structure that that the algae could just grow on it can just more wholesale uh, harvest it uh, quickly and cleanly.
0: So it, it sounds like you're going to have the advantage of being able to keep the old tank up while you start the new tank. Is that what you're uh, looking to do? Because that would certainly make things easier in terms of transitioning the livestock over, right?
1: Yeah, I I, I probably will. Uh, we don't need to sell the house and my, my kids might be living in it for a little while anyway.
0: Um, planet, uh, 3d had a question, a follow up question about the trace elements that you're, um, using. Uh, the question is how are you measuring the amount of trace elements to dose? Are you doing any ICP testing to, to see what those levels are at, or you're just gut. Just dump a little bit. <laughs> see what things look like. And
1: yeah, yeah, really. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm dumping, uh, I'm not really keeping, I'm not keeping super good track of of how much I'm dosing, but I haven't seen any significant negative effects to it. Um, And, you know, know, I'm a scientist and I want to see, you know, I did see positive effects when I first started doing it. You know, in other words, I had some corals that were clearly losing color, uh, had uh, good effects, but I can't say in the long run now whether I can, you know, really see whether th- something's fading, and I add it, and I always get a response. I've always just kind of continued to add it at a, at a kind of a low clip, uh, you know, consistently. And again, water changes should help with that as well, right? Keep things
0: I mean, well, balanced back again. Yeah, I mean, Greg, one thing I'm taking away from from this chat is is the power of observation, and you seem to lean on that heavily. And I. I I, I do so as well. I think that's so vitally important with, uh, with a reef tank is that, uh, you should, you should observe that tank on a daily basis. And, uh, there's certain corals that I have that are sort of like canaries in a coal mine. And, and when those corals, uh, don't look right versus the other corals, then I kind of know something might be up.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Some, some things are definitely more sensitive. Uh,
0: I, I forgot to ask you this question in terms of the calcium reactor and, um, and pH, but uh, what do you use? What what do you do? Do you do, how, impo- how how important is pH in terms of being able to keep it elevated? You know, because a calcium reactor will uh, bring it down. Do you dose any caulk loss, or do you do anything else to help elevate the pH that gets lowered by the uh, calcium reactor?
1: Well, I think I think adding uh, caulk is certainly a, a fine thing to do, and I have done that in the past. Uh, at the moment, I don't I don't really religiously do it, and so for sure my tank has a a slightly suppressed ph i I don't actually know what it is right now i actually haven't had a functioning ph probe in probably about another maybe eight years or so (laughs) i don't really know what it is but i know it's i know it's suppressed i know there's enough carbon dioxide running in that that i mean the bubbles are going pretty fast um so i know it's suppressed um but you know i try to keep you know air moving in that in that room and Try not to get it super closed down, and um, but I don't. I'm not tremendously worried about about the low pH. Um, it, it might be a problem for some corals for sure, but uh, I mean, you know, whenever possible, better to keep uh, the tank at, at, at natural conditions for everything. Um, but for me, I think one of the ways you can balance this is keeping the alkalinity slightly higher than would would happen in the natural reef environment. So, you know, and so uh, I'm a scientist by heart and global warming is real. And you can you can look at the carbon dioxide levels and the tests in in Hawaii and people might say, well, look, my carbon dioxide levels in my tank are way higher than they are in the natural. And, And I agree but you can compensate for that because in your tank, you can elevate the alkalinity, And I have that elevated. And you could do that in the ocean, too, if you had like a. Uh, a fleet of giant tankers and you ground up all the white cliffs of Dover and you sprinkled them continuously all around the world every day. But that's just never going to happen. Right. So, so it's just, you know, science is real. The vaccine works and global warming is happening. I'm sorry <laughs> to say it was sad actually to see the damage in the Seychelles when I was just recently there. So, yeah.
0: Wow. So um, we got another question from Planet3D, and the question is, uh, Greg, from your days at CompuServe's Fishnet Forum, what do you think? We might have talked about this last time you are on. What do you think of the quality of today's advice online? Oh, the temporarily lost, Greg. Yeah, sorry about that. Nope, will
1: come back, back in a second. My wife keeps trying to call me, so right <laughs> <laughs> um, So the value of today – well, I don't know. I think everybody thinks they're an expert. Uh, and I guess the, the question is, be careful with who is giving you the, uh, that information. In other words, you know, is someone trying to sell you something really is what you have to ask, right? Is someone trying to sell you hydroxychloroquine or, you know, various chemicals or vitamins to keep you from getting COVID, right? You got to ask those questions carefully. Uh, And so I think you can read a lot, but I would suggest that you read uh, books that have been written by people that have been in the hobby for a long time and understand the basics of the science and the chemistry of what's going on, not just, oh, if this happens, you can do this and this will work every time. I mean, there's certainly fixes, you know, I remember when, when first got on CompuServe and People are like, oh yeah, these long, thin anemones. Oh, they're called aptasia. Oh, really? And there's there's something that will eat them. Wow. I mean, that was huge, right? You know, and that's the kind of really simple pointed answer that you know that actually does work, right? But some things I think you just gotta be very careful with who's giving you that answer and what what their what their agenda might be. <laughs>
0: And Planet 3D uh, ad, sorry, I should have added, I value reef bums advice. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know, I dish out some advice, but uh, I've been in the hobby 27 years. So, um, you know, I I guess uh, the other piece of advice I would say is um, if you you have somebody out there online that's dishing out a lot of advice and and you haven't seen what their tanks look like or tank look like, then uh, you might want to think twice about taking that advice if they're not very forthcoming about showing that sort of thing.
1: Indeed. Right. And if they tell you that all you need are water changes, yeah, let's see how many corals they have in their system.
0: Um, so Revo 13 is asking, what's Greg's thoughts on oversized skimmers? Do you use a skimmer? You mentioned that you use a skimmer, uh, Greg, but what do you, what do you think about these, uh, these large, uh, oversized skimmers people are using these days?
1: Well, well, so that's actually one of the things that, that I recently changed. Um, you know, I think as long as you're controlling nutrients, however you do it, you know, that's fine. Uh, I think it's, uh, if you add a, I think it's very hard to overskim a tank. Some people say you can very hard and you can always add more fish to your system. Um, but one of the things that, that annoys me is that if the alkalinity gets a little high in my system, you know, I get this precipitation in these pumps, or these uh, submersible pumps. And so I just, I finally got so just frustrated by it that I just stopped using um, the submersible pumps that were on my overski- oversized skimmer. I just said to set the hell with it. I just took, took the whole skimmer out. And I went back, believe it or not, to a counter-current airstone, wooden airstone wow. skimmer.
0: Yeah, those are reliable. Um,
1: and the tank still looks okay. I mean, the skimmer's not doing that much, but, you know... Everything still seems okay. So, buying new, new pumps for that skimmer like once a year, and and all the electricity was using, I just didn't really see the value. You know, maybe in the in the tank in the future, maybe I'll have a whole bunch of counter counter current skimmers. I mean, you can build them easily with a big chunk of PVC and drill some holes in it, and it's super easy.
0: I had this um, fifty inch tall uh, counter uh, protein skimmer, which was just, it skimmed so consistently. I didn't have to worry about the water level in the sump and, you know, it was external to the sump and that thing was a beast. You know, I mean, it was 50 inches tall. So, uh, if you don't have that kind of space then that's not going to work, but, uh, it was a simple design, you know, and, and, uh, worked really, really, really well. I think, you know, to me, that's, um, kind of one of the things today that makes things more complicated. I mean, you mentioned that, um, you know, you're not sure if you can actually overskim a tank. I mean, I think they're the skimmers these days are just so much more efficient than uh, they were in the past, and um, so perhaps it does make it easier to overskim a tank. But you know, you also have um, people using uh, filter rolls, you know, fleece to for mechanical filtration. I, I, everything technology today has just made the equipment so much better, and I and I find that to be. Um, Interesting because I think it kind of makes the hobby a little bit more difficult because it's a lot easier, in my opinion, to zero nutrients out with this much more efficient equipment. And so I think you got to be careful and, and um, you know don't put the uh, put put your hand on the throttle, so to speak, uh, as much as maybe as as you might have in, in the past. It just it it, it seems uh, kind of uh, ironic that the technology has has created such um, you know great improvements in the terms of the equipment we, that we've used, but it's also been a bit of a curse in my opinion.
1: Yeah. I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I think that skimmers should actually improve that much myself <laughs> just based on, you know, I've shut this thing down and um, been months and months now and I haven't really had problem, you know, you know, maybe, maybe I will have a problem, but, and, and but I just I still see pumps freeze up all the time. I remember when these uh, 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 DC pumps came out. Oh, this is gonna be the greatest thing! I used them a few times. They just freeze up like mad. Forget it. the worthless. Mm. So I mean, I still have uh, some Hagen 802 powerheads that are like 15 years old. They still work, yeah. right? Behind pumps that are at least 15 years old and they still work. So. You know, I think you look for good quality and a lot of, I still think a lot of the equipment is garbage.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I think also if you take care of your equipment, then, then it could last a long time. You know, you gotta, you gotta stay on top of the maintenance. And
1: I'm, I'm, I'm one of the worst for that. So, (laughs) (coughs) but that's just it. If something can, if something can survive in my hands, (coughs) then it's, it's, it's done well.
0: It's, it's uh, definitely gone the ringer um the last thing i wanted to, to talk to you about greg is uh, you, you mentioned a couple of things about um uh you know sps and, and having good coloration with sps i think you mentioned trace elements and um what else did you uh maybe it was the uh, lighting water motion water motion anything else in terms of um you know things that folks should think about in terms of maximizing the colors on their sps
1: <coughs> well I mean, again, I, I think it's a question of whether you're actually seeing natural colors or whether you're seeing, effect.
0: seeing something from blue light.
1: I think a lot of people that, that that have these LED systems, you know, turned up with a blue, that's not how a reef looks. I'm sorry to say. I mean, yeah, when you go down, a reef starts to get slightly more blue. But it doesn't look like Disneyland Electric Light Parade. It just does not look that way. That is not natural. It's slightly blue, but it's not this crazy, uh, painful, your eyes look where you can't even take a photograph of the tank. That's what I've noticed lately is these blue systems. You have to take a photograph and there's something wrong. It used to be with metal halide. The photographs are, are realistic and they, and they look good.
0: Yeah, I have a... Um a very easy time photographing my, uh, my tank that's lit by metal halides, but the tank that's lit by LEDs. I, 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 don't run a very blue, um, spectrum on the LEDs. In fact, I, um, a, uh, a fellow YouTuber, YouTuber and in Instagram, um, uh, guy by the name of Telegram created this, um, light profile for me that mimics, uh, 20K 400 watt, uh, halide bulb. So, you know, that's, that's what I use. I use uh, 20K radium for waters on my, um, uh, my uh, SPS dominant system that's established, and so I wanted to kind of re- recreate that look. But it's still tough with the uh, with the LEDs on because I have to change a uh, a setting in each of the lights into a, a photo mode so it doesn't flicker. So it's not oh. uh, it's not as easy to uh, to for me at least to capture the uh, the photos and the video with the LEDs. But yeah, I mean you go on an Instagram, you see some pretty uh, wild stuff with the, uh, blue lit tanks. It's, uh, you, you can, you can get these, uh, very average looking tenuous that, uh, look spectacular. And of course there's some spectacular prices attached to those, uh, those tenuous that, uh, are all dolled up under the blue lights.
1: And, and I can tell you folks, the natural reef does not look that way.
0: <laughs> um, let's see. I'm just looking at some more comments. Um, Planet uh, 3D, Greg. There are some very anti views relating to reef keeping. What do you think needs to happen to improve understanding of the industry?
1: Hmm. I don't know what anti views are really.
0: I I think there there might be some um, you know thoughts out there that um, you know potentially reef keeping is impacting oh, yeah, oh. the um, the natural reefs.
1: Sure. Well. <clears throat> um, I mean, so from an environmental standpoint, yeah, so I, I think it's worthwhile. So I think one of the ways to kind of counter some of that is uh, if someone goes, oh, you mean you're just, you know, you're bringing in these corals and you're putting in your system and then they're just dying and da 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 Okay, well, they're not, right? So, I mean, when I talk to people about my system, they come over and they look at it and they go, wow, that's kind of neat. And. And then I go on to explain, oh, and every coral in this system has grown from a fragment, not much larger than the pinky on my finger here. Okay. And then their, their eyes kind of change and they, and they think about it differently. So, yeah, we are using electricity. Uh, that, you know, is a significant factor, but the LEDs have really cut down the amount of electricity. And If you're careful with what pumps you absolutely need to have, I think that can be reasonable uh, as well. So, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of other things that, that, that people can do to, to help with, uh, uh, you know, conservation efforts. And I, I don't think necessarily think that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're destroying the reef, but, but I, I would also say that, uh, you know, keep in mind when you are setting up a system, uh, where those corals are coming from and, uh, you know how they're being harvested you know SPS corals almost all of them are just traded from from people right we don't bring in big colonies anymore or you can bring in or or if you want to you can get the aquacultured colonies that are just you know grown in EGN a little kind of, yeah not such a big deal uh, so I think it's, it's just worthwhile to keep keep everything in focus
0: yeah no for sure um, Matt, a, uh, makes a comment. People need to know that many of the corals we love in our home have never been in the ocean. I, I guess they've been in the what? ocean at one point in time, but,
1: uh, <laughs> perhaps okay. there,
0: there's more of them in our homes than they, are, than they are in the ocean. I don't know. But, uh, I get the, I, I get the drift. Right.
1: right. Well, sure. It, it came from somebody else's tank and then I put it in my tank. Sure. But yes, they were all in the ocean. Sure.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Right. Well, that would be kind of cool to, you know, one of these days be be able to create these, uh, these, uh, I don't even know what you would call it, Um, you know, create, I'm not sure what the terminology would be, but. Well, you can create, uh, you can create
1: hybrids, right? I had a pair of seahorses made and two different species made and create a hybrid once that looked a little bit like both species. It was really wild. That's pretty cool. And whether that has ever had, I mean, I don't know that these two species have overlapping geographies or not. i never looked into it. Uh, But it's possible that that, that hybrid never
0: existed in the wild before. So there you go. Yeah. All right, man. I think we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. Any, uh, any final thoughts, advice for folks out there in terms of uh, successful uh, reef keeping tips? Keep it simple. That's what I got out of this chat. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah it's simple you don't need all the equipment uh you know look at look at what's happening talk to to reef keepers um and if they say they have all these equipment and pieces of equipment and, and they say you need them all maybe you don't talk to people that have been in the industry for a while read some books understand the chemistry and biology about what's going on and don't just uh you know, don't just have a problem and, and say, what should I do with this? Because if you don't understand the basics, you might be fixing one problem, but actually creating another problem at the same time.
0: Sound advice. All right, Greg, listen, man, thank All you. Right. Uh, thank you again for uh, for joining. That'll do it for this show, folks. And I'm going to give my sincere thanks to Greg for uh, for being on today's live stream. I also want to thank uh, Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for being for being sponsors and supporting the show. And also I want to thank you folks out there for tuning in. And my next live stream is going to be next Thursday, September 30th at 7 p.m. Um, I'm actually going to have um, Eli Meyer from Aquabiomics on. He's he's uh, he he owns a company that actually does bacteria testing. Uh, Greg, you're probably not going to be tuning into that episode, I assume. <laughs> but just
1: be skeptical. Be skeptical.
0: Yeah, there's a uh, there's a lot of folks out there that are interested, so it should certainly be an interesting chat. But until then, be safe out there, everybody, and we will see you next.